In today's episode, we're going to talk about the G word, grammar. And I'll be joined by Mike Travers. He's going to help us really understand how to take grammatical concepts and teach them in our communicative language classroom. So let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Cabral, and I am so happy that you are joining us today. What we're going to do is talk about the word grammar. Now, depending on who you're talking to, you will get different reactions in the language teaching world about grammar. Some people are, sure, it's the way we've always done it. Some people will give you the evil eye, how dare you talk about grammar. It's a difficult topic to take on. And so in order to do this, I thought that the best person to join me in this conversation is going to be Mike Travers. It's a name that I see all over the place when people are talking about grammar on Twitter and different places and at conferences. Uh, he did a workshop on teaching grammar called What About the Grammar um, in 2019 at the Massachusetts State Conference and was named Best of Conference, which then goes on to NECTFL, the Northeast Conference, where he did it there representing Massachusetts and got Best of Conference again. So when we were going to take on this conversation about grammar, I thought, hmm, the best person to have in the room to bounce some ideas off of would be Mike Travers. So, Mike, it's finally nice to meet you, by the way. Right. <laughs> After all this time. <laughs> so we were talking before, and I tend to know a lot of the people that Mike Travers knows. He knows a lot of people that I know. We kind of swim in the same circle, but we've never actually met. So we thought, why not have the first time we meet be in a public forum where everybody hears our conversation? Sounds like a deal, right? <laughs> so I need to learn everything there is to know about you in a couple of minutes, Mike Travers, and so do our listeners. So could you kind of tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got here? Oh, man. Everything about oh. me in two minutes. Here we go. <laughs> Ready? And... <laughs> It's too bad there's not that much. Um, no, just kidding. Um, so like Joshua said, I'm Mike Travers. I'm a Spanish teacher, was a uh, French teacher at my old school. Um, I teach in Wellesley, Massachusetts at the high school. And I would call myself like a PD junkie. I love everything that there is to do about like learning for, for about things about proficiency. I've been, I wish I could actually count how many conferences I've been to and paid for, but <laughs> they've totally paid off. I mean, you'll find me at MAFLA, you'll find me at Neckville things, some delving into the actual things. It's, it's been fun for me. So what was your education before going into the teaching world? What, when did you first connect with languages and decide that's what you wanted to do? So it's funny when you, when you talk to like my parents, they'll tell you like from the day, day one of going to kindergarten, I came home and I said, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. First grade, I wanted to be a first grade teacher. Second grade, I wanted to be a second grade teacher. We went all the way up. 
And then I had fantastic teachers in middle school who were teaching me languages. And I, I think from the minute I heard Ola, like I fell right in love, fell right in love with languages. And that just kind of stuck with me. So like we took the teaching love and then we finally found the subject, went on to, went on to Stonehill College, got a degree in Spanish and French education, started teaching in Norton, Massachusetts, got my master's at UMass Boston have been loving every single minute of it since. Excellent. So you started off teaching French right out of college? I did Spanish and French. I had oh, okay. three sections of one, two sections of another. Mm-hmm. Just what a first teacher, mm-hmm. first year teacher should be doing, right? All the preps. <laughs> and you're currently teaching high school. Have you always taught high school? Yeah, high school high school's been my focus. Mm-hmm. So are you ready to take on this conversation about grammar? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the G word. Let's do it. <laughs> the G word. I love it. Even has the uh, the euphemism of what it is. So we are all very involved in this world of communicative language teaching right now. And sometimes the word grammar is it's just it's a bad word. It's the G word. So can you talk us through what the role of grammar is in a communicative classroom? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really funny how it, like some people will view it as a swear word and some people will view it as the core of what they're doing, right? So mm-hmm. with communicative language teaching, it's it's funny that you have these kind of different camps when you talk about grammar. You have some people that are all about the explicit grammar. You have some people that are all about the implicit grammar. And then you have... I'd say the majority of us hanging out in the middle somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's kind of like the sweet spot when it comes to talking about its role in the classroom. And because I don't think that it's necessarily one of those things we have to get rid of. I tried Mm -hmm. that one year where it was no grammar whatsoever. It didn't have the same results that I wanted to. I wouldn't necessarily go as far as saying it's on the explicit side, though. Mm -hmm. So in the middle, Actual has this really cool page on their website, one of their guiding principles. And one time I came upon this and it just it defined it beautifully for me. It broke it down into four sections. It said that when it comes to like the role of teaching grammar in context is going to have four parts talking about the communicative context of it, aka what's the purpose of the grammar? Why are, you, why are we teaching this grammar? What is it going to help me to be actually able to do? Telling learners why they actually need it, which I'd never thought of really much before. I always said like, oh yeah, we just need this because it's school. But it's the idea of thinking, oh, like, do you want to be able to gossip about what just happened in the cafeteria? Well, if you want to be able to do that, you need the past tense. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to express your opinion about this, well, guess what? I know you got lots of opinions. Let's use the subjunctive to help you with those opinions. So thinking about what's the purpose, how can they actually use it? And then kind of thinking about how do I make it more about the meaning of the words and less about the forms, less about, you know, the traditional charts and all that. And more about what do, what do these words actually mean? How do these actually help me to do something? And then the fourth part of what they say is having a mix of, which I thought was kind of weird but at first, but I, like, I actually like the way they phrase it. Having the mix of some explicit ex- instruction, some implicit instruction, like having a mix of both experiences mm-hmm. in the learner's, like, ex- like in the learner's program, essentially. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the way you're putting it out there as not being an either or. And that really turns teachers off when it has yeah. to be that either or. Right. It's like <laughs> with most things, like you don't want to just put all your eggs in one basket. Like there's there's definitely a mix of two, especially if you're trying to get teachers that are really good at the explicit stuff and trying to get them to move towards the middle, towards the implicit stuff. If you just choose one over the other, 
it can kind of turn people off. But if you talk mm -hmm. about a nice middle ground, it really gets teachers kind of on the same page with that. There's a lot of emerging research on teaching Gen Z, sort of the, the new generation beyond millennials. And one of the things that comes up with this generation is that they want instant gratification. And I think that is a very negative way of looking at it. I think that they, uh, they want to know why, you know, and so when you say that, tell them why we need it, why they're going to use this, that's what this generation is hardwired for. So this seems like the ultimate way to teach them grammar. Would you agree with that? Oh, that's, that's <laughs> spot on. Like, I mean, I'm not part of Gen Z, but I think of back when, I think of back when I was learning languages, I sat there and I was learning demonstrative pronouns and double object pronouns and SFM. Mm -hmm. I could fill in all the exercises in the world, but I had no idea why I would ever need any of these mm -hmm. things. Like, mm -hmm. and I can see the same thing in some of my students. If I was doing it that way, they'd sit there and be like, they'd be really good test takers. I have no idea why they needed this. And quite frankly, I don't think they'd care that much unless they <laughs> saw, oh, this actually helps me to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. So how how is it beneficial from your experience and all the, the research you've done on this? Why is it beneficial to learn the forms, essentially, in context, the form, rather than an only explicit explanation? So, so prefacing this, right, we think of how we were learning languages before. And I always like to make sure that this is super clear, like, what we were doing before, I don't want it to sound like it was bad. Right? I don't want because we produce people that now speak second languages. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we could produce some more people with second languages, right? Mm -hmm. More students that speak a second language, create this more multilingual society, if we kind of change our focus from what we were doing before in terms of explicit. And now we start to think about, all right, let's see if we can get them to actually use these sorts of concepts, mm -hmm. right? So I think it's like, I think it's extremely beneficial to try these sorts of things out. And it kind of allows us to try out some different themes, some different mm -hmm. topics that, in our classes so that we can see the connection between content and vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And then we can build in the, the five C's from ACTL. How do we mm -hmm. build in the cultures aspect of that? How can we talk about social justice? How can we talk about things that are relevant to students and use grammar as a support to help us do those things? Mm -hmm. And can you talk us through some of the methods or procedures for the classroom for teaching grammar in context? That's always the question, right? You start mm -hmm. with all the theory, you try to get everybody to understand your theory, and then they're like, "All right, let's go. What <laughs> do right, I do? What go. do I do in the classroom?" Like, bring it, bring it home, bring it home. <laughs> so there's so there's a bunch of different strategies that take it takes a lot of time to kind of grasp them, right? To figure out, all right, what are the ones that work for me? Um, one of my favorite ones, my favorite one to present about, um, it's called the Pace Model, mm -hmm. and so Pace is an acronym because. In world language teaching, we love acronyms. <laughs> I don't know why we do this. Yeah. We, we want them to speak more, but we're going to shorten everything for ourselves with acronyms. Yeah, we love the uh, alphabet soup. Oh my gosh, right? Actful, <laughs> IPA, nectful. Yep. <laughs> you just sit there and you're just like, all right, what's this one mean? Yeah. <laughs> so PACE, PACE is a cool model for introducing a new grammar concept. And so it stands for P is for presentation, A is for attention, C is for co-construction, and E is for extension. So the short of this is you pick some sort of resource or you write some sort of resource that is on the same topic of whatever theme you're working with and has your grammar embedded in it. So you spend a day, maybe two days in this presentation phase, just doing all sorts of interpretive activities, helping to get kids to understand 
whatever the resource is. The next day, you bring it to their attention and you say, by the way, there was a piece of grammar in there. There's some new words in there. There's some new formations in there. Maybe you've never seen before. So the A in PACE is standing for attention, where I can like bold or color code all of those words I want them to notice. And then we go into what is called the co-construction. Biggest part of that word for me is the co. We're really good at constructing. I'll do all the construction for you, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the co-construction is where you make the kids do most of the work. You have them kind of hypothesize and figure out together. All right, I noticed this pattern. What are, for example, all these verbs in red? What do all these verbs in red have in common? Let me work by myself, figure this out. Let me turn to my partner. Let's talk this out together. Let me turn to another group. And then let's talk about it as a full class. What do we notice about all of these verbs? And then me, my role as a teacher, I change. Instead of saying, here's all the information, I say, give me it. Give me whatever you got. Let's, mm-hmm. let's just keep going, right? I, basically, they leave exhausted by the end of that mm-hmm. block. And so we co-construct whatever that new grammar is. And if they miss something, that's where I can step in and be like, oh, this is you know the two form. We just missed that. Or here's a mm-hmm. random irregular verb that we didn't happen to see in this. Mm-hmm. So we go P for presentation, A, attention, C, we co-construct it. And then we go into the E where we take what we just discovered and then we use it. We go back to our toolbox of interpretive activities, interpersonal, presentational. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun. It, it, I found that when I've done pace lessons with kids, those are the grammar concepts that like stick with them. Mm-hmm. Grammar concepts that I wouldn't have ever thought were easy, to be, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Can we dive into each one of those just a little bit more? These are often questions I have or that I get from other teachers when this topic comes up. So the presentation, that first step, is essentially for comprehensible input. right? Exactly. There's Yeah, so that's what you're doing there. So then this is the question that always, always, always comes up. How much of this is done in the target language and how much is done in native language of the students in the classroom? And I don't think there's one right answer to that. Similar to pretty much anything related to grammar, right? Mm -hmm. There's no one right answer. I think that a lot of it depends on the kids that are sitting in front of you. I think it depends on their proficiency level, depends on the grammar that you're teaching them that you want them to discover. You could choose to do this as part of your 10%, right? Mm -hmm. With with actual core practice of 90% target language, this could be my really deliberately chosen 10%. We're going to use English for this. Mm -hmm. At the same time, when you really think of what you're asking kids to do in that co-construction, you could potentially come up with a good list of sentence starters for them to say, I noticed that. I wonder why I see this. And then give them the words that a lot of the times in romance languages end up being cognates. Mm -hmm. A lot of the stuff we're asking is, is this present, past, or future? Mm -hmm. Is this masculine or feminine? Or we're asking them for letters of the alphabet. What are the Mm -hmm. letters you see at the end there? Right? Is Mm -hmm. this singular or is this plural? Mm -hmm. And a lot of those words are words that they look the same, right? They're those cognates. Mm -hmm. So you could set it up either way. And I've done both. I've done Mm -hmm. it where it's the 10% in English. And I've done it where I give them a placemat with all sorts of expressions to help guide them and keep them in the language. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it just—I think it depends. It depends on depends on who's in front of you. And during that co-construction phase, so it seems like students are essentially looking for patterns, like things that are following a pattern, and and you're helping them see if that pattern they're finding is legitimate. Yes, 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 yes. And that goes back to the attention phase, the importance of really making sure you like bold what it is you want them to look for. 
I've, I did one. I'll, I'll give you a, a highlight reel real quick mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. One that I did um, back when I was a French teacher, I was teaching. I wanted them to notice um, reflexive verbs. Mm-hmm. But silly me put all the reflexive verbs in the passé composé, mm-hmm. which any French teachers know that that just creates this crazy construction <laughs> of what's going on. So I didn't bold exactly what I wanted them to see. And I said, mm-hmm. I want you to just go off, see what you notice. And they got they got very hung up on the passé composé and the lesson went sideways because they never noticed their reflexives out of that, that mm-hmm. I, which was the goal of what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And then you you learn from that, you know, and how are you going to do it the, the next time and going on there. And you had mentioned at the beginning, you start with a text or you create a text. And have you found it useful to write your own? Or have you found ways of you know, getting your hands on useful texts for doing this? These are the fun questions, right? We're really diving into this stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So similar to what I just said with the co-construction piece, there's a little bit of both. I don't think, I don't think there's a right answer. You have some people, some researchers specifically that are very purist that will say you should only use Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. authentic resources. And then you have some people that will say you should only use stories. And I fall, again, in the middle of those two, because I'm not going to, I don't tend to pick one camp over another. My rule of thumb is, I start by looking for an authentic resource. Mm -hmm. I start there, and I kind of ask myself, I say, all right, how long do I actually plan on using this resource for? So if I only plan on using this for 20 minutes, I give myself that limit of, I'm only going to spend 20 minutes looking for this. If I'm going to spend an hour, maybe if I ever find an hour in in my life, I'll find it, I'll spend the hour looking for it. My go-to places, I'll, you know, I'll look, I'll type in certain phrases into Google, look for articles. Twitter is excellent for them to get short pieces of it. So if you Mm -hmm. put like a word that's in the particular tense you're looking for, plus a word in quotation marks um, related to your theme. So I did one in Spanish, for example, I was looking for present perfect. So I would put, you know, a verb in the past participle, and then I would put like salud or medico or whatever, because it was a part of a health unit. After a while... I realize, like, if I can't find something, I jump to that point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to write it myself. I know they exist. These texts definitely exist. And they're so, they're just so hard to find, right? But when you find them, oh my gosh, the feeling when you find that authentic resource that is comprehensible to them, has the grammar related to the topic, like, I swear you should get them tattooed on your body at that point. <laughs> like, you're just like, I will save this resource forever and ever. Do you keep Pinterest boards for those sorts of things that you find? I try, yep. I try to keep track of all the Pinterest boards. I usually go through, for example, Leslie mm-hmm. Grant's Pinterest board. I could, that's where I could spend most of my day looking through, seeing what I can find. Yeah, she does uh, She does some of that, that legwork for us. <laughs> oh, yes. And I'm forever appreciative. <laughs> so, Beyond the PACE model, are there any other uh, routines, techniques, or methods that you use in the classroom for teaching grammar in context? Yeah, so a couple of my other favorite ones. Um, So for example, structured input is an idea from Bill Van Patten that I absolutely Mm -hmm. love. I think that is, I think it's really, really smart. And it's a way of basically manipulating input. It's, this is more teacher written input, manipulating input so that learners notice the forms but are still focusing on the meaning so it's it's a really it's a very complicated method to figure out there's a lot written out there i've actually written Mm -hmm. about it too with a Mm step-by-step for teachers um but it's a really good that's a really good method too that can be really interesting i've used that one another method that's out there is called concept Mm -hmm. attainment that one's cool um that one's where you show patterns and you just have kids 
kind of categorize the patterns. Like these are the yes examples. These are the no examples. And then we look at the end and we say, what do all the yeses have in common? What do all the noes have in common? Can you figure out what meaning wise they have in common? The other one that I also discovered also from Bill Van Patten's book, uh, while we're on the topic, it's called Dictogloss. It's like a new take on dictations. I remember doing mm-hmm. dictations back in high school and this kind of takes dictations and adds that communicative purpose behind it. So it's starting, students are writing down what they hear as the dictation, and then you use that text to sort of find the patterns and do a variation on the pace model. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of mini mm-hmm. pace-ish. You could think of it that way, where um, I tend to add a little bit more of a mm-hmm. game to it, where I say they can't write anything down while mm-hmm. I read the text. Work to rush to, and write down as much as you could remember. Let's listen to it again work together, write down as much as you can remember. And then we talk about, all right, where were the difficult parts mm-hmm. in the text? And then if those end up being the new grammar points, we already are drawing their attention to it. And then we usually take the dictation paragraph, which is usually really, really short, like not not more than a couple mm-hmm. sentences. And then we do something with it. We're like, okay, what's your opinion on what you just wrote down and what you just heard? Like mm-hmm. some sort of extension. Of it. And beyond this concept, is there a time where you've found that some explicit explanation is useful? I would say, yeah, because a little, a little bit of explicit explanation is sometimes useful. Now, explicit is not going to be let's take the whole day and speak in English and let's go through every form of the subjunctive that I've ever learned in my entire life. So you can learn it too. But with that, like sometimes it's as simple as saying, you know, a quick review of like, all right, when we speak in the past, what are our possible endings, right? We'll just go real quick. Oh, when I'm asking a question to you, what are our possible endings? Maybe, and I can keep that in the target language. I can do that really, really quick. And I make sure that mm-hmm. it's building them to do something. So the reason I decide to do an explicit little explanation is based on formative feedback that I've gotten from them or something to prepare them for the next task we're doing in class. Just a quick little review, but yeah. nothing nothing major out of it. So for our listeners, those hanging on to this conversation right now, they're thinking, okay, Mike Travers, where do you get your inspiration? Who are those influencers? And it seems like you're a workshop junkie, which is awesome. And what are those experiences that you would recommend that have inspired you? I think that number one, the the presenter that has most inspired me for grammar would be mm-hmm. Greta Lungard. Greta Lungard, she's out of Texas. Um, She's always presenting at all the regional and national conferences. She has such an outstanding understanding of grammar as a concept. Um, I was so fortunate last summer, she, her and I actually presented together. And I learned I, just in the presentation, I learned mm-hmm. so much from her. Like, she's, she's so good for that. Um, for strategies, I mean, I mentioned her before. How do you not mention Leslie Grant? Like, absolutely love her for that. Inspiration too, like Bill Van Patten, his books, his books, They're Mm -hmm. really, really good. They really get you thinking. So now I want to pull the teacher curtain aside a little bit, and we're going to get to know Mike. So I'm going to give you a couple of either ors and no right answer here. If you want to say why, that's cool too. So if you have the choice between the ocean view or the mountain view, which one are you going to choose? Absolutely the ocean, because I know that there's some sitting. I'm not one for exercise and and hiking, so I won't go near the mountains. Okay. It's game night. You know, Shay Travers. Uh, (laughs) Are we playing a card game or a board game? Ooh, 
probably a board game. I get really competitive with the board games. I think that's where, I, where I'd end up. All right. So what are your go-to board games? I recently rediscovered Clue. Like I had completely Ooh. forgotten all about Clue. My other one, I don't know if I'd call this one a board game per se, but um, but basically it's like telephone, but drawing. Telestrations, that's what it's called. Telestrations. And one last one here. When you're working, silence or some sort of noise? I'm using noise, but it could be music or something. Depends on what I'm working on. It depends on if I need like, if I need like, weirdly enough though, if I need like total concentration, I don't want silence. I want noise. But if I want like minimal concentration, then I want silence, which I know is totally opposite of how normal humans work. But there I am, right? <laughs> I've I've learned in my adult life that there's no such thing as normal. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's overrated, anyways. If it is, <laughs> yeah. Well, I have so much enjoyed being able to dive deep in this whole grammar concept with you, and I'm sure that there are listeners that would like to dive deep with you as well. And how? How can they find you and reach out to you to continue that conversation? Absolutely. Yeah, this, I, I could have this conversation with a random person on the street. So I am always willing to chat. Um, you can find me. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Travers underscore tweets. And I have a blog where I've just been posting all sorts of stuff. Um, I am the it's the mad world Lang- or mad world language teacher. Mm-hmm. And I'm on, that's on if you just Google that, you'll find. I've done all those different strategies I mentioned. I've done posts and videos or infographics about it just to just kind of share whatever I've learned, right? Do you have any uh, workshops planned for the upcoming conference seasons happening? So for MAFLA, let's see. I have, I have a grammar workshop. Oh, I have okay. a two-hour workshop for MAFLA. And then I'm doing a one-hour presentation on curriculum writing. And then I'll be at Actful and Nectful. Uh-huh. What are you presenting at Actful? Let's see. Actful, I'm presenting on retrieval practice. Mm-hmm. How we put that into play. And then Nectful will be, what did I, uh, retrieval practice and curriculum writing for them as well. We are definitely going to be on the lookout for those. Can you leave everyone with one solid piece of advice when it comes to teaching grammar? Yeah, this is, so whenever I start my workshops, I always try to try to preface it with this because it gets overwhelming, right? You You hear all the information, there's all these new ideas, there's contradicting ideas i think just if you can peel one layer back at a time you will get you will get closer and closer to that idea of what is gram- teaching grammar as a concept in context and if your one layer is just reading a book if your one layer is trying pace your one layer is changing how you do an activity just focus on that one little thing you can do and then you'll kind of be inspired to try the next layer and the next layer i can tell through this conversation again we've never had a conversation in person before but in hearing you talk about these themes i can see why it resonates with teachers the fact that you put it out there as i'm not going to tell you doing anything wrong and it's not an either or and you have to completely change you know as you're saying like peel back the layer try it out figure out how it's going to go and i can completely see why that would resonate with teachers and i so much appreciate your time and being with us here today yeah absolutely this was a blast lots of useful insights in that conversation with mike travers and as usually happens with language teaching it's not going to be a question of either or and that's particularly true when it comes to how we approach grammar there may be those times those very select times when an explicit 
explanation might be helpful, but for the most part, we want to approach our grammar instruction communicatively and in context using methods such as the PACE model. Be sure to check out the show notes so you can connect with Mike. You'll also see a link there to sign up for Talking Points, my weekly newsletter where you'll get teaching tips throughout the week. And you'll also know when new episodes of the podcast are published so you can listen to them right away. I'll talk to you real soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at WL Classroom. You can also see over 250 blog posts about language teaching at, you guessed it, wlclassroom.com.